think of you and me. Welcome to Voice from the Void, the podcast about Star Drifter and the Star Drifter universe. I am your host, writer-creator David Collins Rivera, and this is Episode 5. Today, we'll be taking a look at the Cradle of Humanity, Terra. By Ejok's time, the human race has spread out quite a bit, with terraformed worlds and innumerable permanent artificial population centers. All of it, though, began in the Sol star system upon its third planet, Earth. Or, as it is better known in the larger galaxy by this point, Terra. What has happened to Terra over the years? Is it still habitable, or did the multi-pronged impact of environmental change, overpopulation, and warfare render it into nothing more than a lonely, filthy, dying world? How does the rest of the galaxy see it? Is Terra the galaxy's rich dowager aunt, or its poor relation? And what is the ongoing legacy of this unique world for the human race as a whole? We'll answer these questions and more right after the update. Okay, I actually got some work done on Book 4, All He Surveys. I'm currently at 61,000 words, which is quite a bit under my target goal, but eh, not too bad. I'm feeling good about it anyway. I'm up to Chapter 10 of Draft 1, and while I can't vouch for the cohesiveness of the tale so far, there are definitely some good bits, which I'll build on in later drafts. I had an offer recently to get involved in someone else's startup audio drama project. It was tempting, but I decided to pass on it in order to stay focused on this. Right now, all I've got going on is Star Drifter, Voice from the Void, LNB's Audio Diary, and some occasional voice work for the marvelous audio drama series Edict Zero FIS. I should be working on Eddie K. I'm not. I got sidetracked, as you know. But I sure don't need anything else on my plate right now, so it'll be Star Drifter and then the usual stuff. See that? The usual stuff is secondary in that statement. I do it all for you. So, the goal for next time, 80,000 words for Draft 1. No, I don't have an awful lot of faith in that, but it's a goal. So wish me luck. Let's get the big question out of the way first. Terra is no dying wasteland. It is, in fact, a diverse, healthy planet filled with plant and animal life, which nonetheless still possesses the largest human population of any world in the settled galaxy. It learned a lot of very hard lessons over the years, and many of the more finicky aspects of terraforming used to make alien worlds habitable were first developed in order to combat environmental problems on good old Mother Earth. This struggle is still ongoing, and ecosystems are still being assessed and repaired bit by bit. Terra is, nearly without exception, recognized as the crown jewel of all habitable worlds. 
While many of its historically viable natural resources have been strained or depleted, the rise of renewable, sustainable manufacturing and energy production technologies and systems have allowed it to come back from the tipping point of environmental catastrophe. Over the course of hundreds of years of careful environmental husbandry and cleanup, a large number of the endangered ecosystems of the past have been restored to one extent or another. The ice caps have largely recovered, while some plant and animal life that went extinct through direct human influence have actually been cloned back and introduced once more into the wild. All of this is especially impressive considering that Terra's human population numbers some 6 billion souls, less than its peak of 9 billion in the 22nd century perhaps, but still far more than any other world. The cost of restoration and maintenance of Terra's many delicate bio-environments is truly staggering, and largely borne by grants, contracts, and long-term projects from the big four supernations of space. Forest areas, as well as the oceans, lakes, river systems, and wetlands all get special focus due to the wealth of information they represent to scientists and biotech firms throughout space. Even by this point in the future, Terran plant and animal life is viewed as a mostly untapped resource regarding biochemical and material science research. Consequently, much of the grant money for ecosystem recovery and repair is tied into exploitation rights and chemical patents for corporate interests in search of new products and product ingredients. Some of these companies contribute directly through their own sponsorship programs, while others, including venture capitalists, chip into government-based, semi-charitable funds which, in turn, offer contributing companies and individuals free or reduced licenses to any patents that are filed based on research conducted through the auspices of said grants and programs. As a result of all this, quite a few corporate interests have large presences on the ground, overseeing or directly conducting research, recovery, and husbandry programs all over the planet in search of new ideas and directly marketable biological substances and compounds. Now, I mentioned terraforming. Studies of the polar regions, as well as other extreme Terran environments, are ongoing with certain companies due to their focus on large-scale, off-world environmental projects. The terraforming of worlds has had mixed results so far. The majority of such projects exist or have existed for the express intention of aping Terra's complexity and ease of habitation upon alien worlds. Many times, signs of system collapse on these planets haven't overtly shown themselves for a century or more after terraforming was supposedly completed and self-sustaining atmo or biospheres had been put into place. Current thinking among researchers is that the intrinsic causes of these failures, whatever they might be, exist or become introduced somehow early on in the process. So far, these efforts have been elusive, so there is great interest in Terra's many extremes, and they have brought in lucrative research grants and contracts from the Big Four. We'll do an episode specifically on terraforming at some point. Taken as a whole, Terra is the single biggest tourist attraction in the galaxy. 
Until they see it for themselves, no one who was born and raised in outer space can even imagine a place with so much endemic life and beauty. A place where one doesn't even need an environmental suit, by and large. The deeply rich and ever-increasing cultural legacy of the world is also beyond compare and, in and of itself, a huge draw for travelers and vacationers. Like many tourist attractions, though, Terra has a dark side, namely poverty. By this point, nearly half the population live at or near the poverty line, as defined by AIN guidelines, among others in space. People regularly go to sleep hungry, and the homeless, especially in the warmer climes, are legion. It's to the point where the poor are seen as another resource to exploit, or perhaps as an exotic life form. So-called poverty adventure tours exist, wherein comparatively wealthy off-world visitors slum it for a while among the desperate and destitute, surrounded by bodyguards and decked out in designer urban survival gear. Many observers are highly critical of this practice, while others point out that it brings desperately needed money to impoverished local economies. Either way, the popularity of this type of tourism is on the rise. Religious and cultural tourism represent a huge portion of Terra's off-world monetary influx. Giant carriers with cold passage facilities for thousands of people at a time freight the faithful out of church space and elsewhere to soul system on a regular basis. Nearly every religion that originated on Terra is represented out in the stars somewhere, and many of these people feel a calling to go back home, as it were, at some point in their lives. The Hajj, bringing tens of millions of spacefaring Muslims to Mecca each year, is only one such. Mormon trips to Salt Lake City in Utah are immensely popular, while Roman Catholic pilgrimages to the Vatican choke the ancient streets of Rome nearly year-round. As a side note on religion, a variant of the Gaia hypothesis exists by this time that is largely centered in church space. At its simplest, it sees the planet Terra as a living organism. This variant is called Unter, the name deriving from an obscure low-speak dialect, literally translating into of Earth. In essence, Unters worship Terra as a living goddess. From their point of view, Earth represents the only spontaneous genesis of life thus far known in the universe, so it must, by definition, be divine. Much of the Unter religion seems to be made up of bits and pieces of others, as well as pop philosophy and some healthy doses of Zen Buddhism. As far as cultural or political influence goes in the territories, Unter is far from dominant, but it is beyond cult status and is expected to grow in coming years. Ironically, though, Unters do not have a significant following upon Terra itself. At least, not yet. The cultural impact of Terra upon the larger galaxy is impossible to overstate. Its legacy informs the human condition, for good or ill, and it continues to inspire. Nearly every culture on the planet contributes to new trends, 
fads, or hot topics out among the stars. Possibly the biggest sources of Terran cultural influence, at least during the time of the novels and short stories, stem from the continent of Africa. The African impact, in turn, is generally filtered through other cultures and societies of Terra. These act as ableists and amplifiers of African trends, thought, music, fashion, fine art, and literature, which eventually, and over the course of time, through exported media and expat trendsetters, and, to one degree or another, reach the farthest settlements of outer space. Terran culture is unique in many respects. The number of independent nations alone is dizzying to the average space dweller. But one of the first elements noted by visitors is that none of the dominant languages of the territories are spoken by any country or ethnic group on Earth. English is easiest to use, since the spoken version is similar in most respects to several large dialects of Terran English. The written version of English is rather different, but we'll have an episode on the languages of space at some point or other. Upon Terra, most of the old languages are still in active use. Visitors from the Big Four or elsewhere are shocked and delighted, and then usually annoyed, to travel around the world and encounter one strange tongue after another. French, Spanish, Mandarin, Tagalog, Navajo, Arabic, Japanese, and all the rest make for a heady mix. So space travelers most often make contact with the natives through the use of electronic translating devices of different sorts. Now then, while Terra is considered extremely important by the Big Four, it is not a very big player in galactic politics in and of itself. After the Great Interstellar War, referred to briefly in Voice from the Void Episode 1, Terra became the property, if you want to put it that way, of the Alliance of Independent Nations, or AIN. Prior to that, it was a begrudging possession of the Imperial Crown, due to massive governmental debts on the planet to off-world banks owned by the Imperial family. And before that, it was independent. No nation on Terra is a voting member in the AIN Senate, since the status of the entire world is currently being debated. For years, arguments, discussions, and deals have been made about Terra, both within the Alliance and among the other supernations. There is a growing consensus among the general public and many lawmakers, though, that Terra is unique and should either be entirely independent of the Big Four or be held in joint stewardship by them. I shall be exploring this particular political situation somewhat in Book 5 whenever I get to it, so be on the lookout for that, though I'd advise patience. One of the many pro-independence arguments for Terra is so it can act as a sort of neutral ground for the sake of diplomacy and trade negotiations among the nations of space. This has precedence, since the treaty to end the Great Interstellar War was signed in Geneva, Switzerland, and is, therefore, commonly referred to as the Terran Pact. Another argument is many seeing Earth as humanity's parent and deserving of self-determination on that point alone. 
A third argument, going in another direction, is for some form of custodianship, with the view that Terra has neither the means nor desire to go its own way. The planet's countless historical and cultural treasures, languages, and landmarks need to be preserved, or so goes the pitch, even while Terra's perpetual economic and political mess prevents it, as a single body, from adequately doing so on its own. The question is still up in the air, therefore. But a general observation of current events implies that Terra's ultimate outcome will likely shape the fate of the human race no matter where it can be found in the galaxy. So that's it for the moment about Terra. I did get some feedback, so let's go into that right now. Regarding Episode 4 on Space Stations, Bob writes... I am really enjoying getting all the background included in VFTV, that's Voice from the Void. Latest episode, there is an error, I think. The habitable zone, where liquid water is possible, is called the Goldilocks zone, I think, because it's quote-unquote just right. Well, you're right, Bob, that is what it's called. I have heard other things too, though, including it being referred to as the Cinderella Zone, which is what I used in the app. Since it's so perfect, it's like your fairy godmother dropped it there just for you. There's also the terms Sweet Spot, Earth Normal Orbit, and a bunch of others. Goldilocks is probably best known, and since clarity is my ultimate goal, it's probably the one I should have gone with in retrospect. So, Bob, you're right. Well, I'm sort of right. Thanks for writing. In another piece of feedback, Mark writes, and he's an old buddy of mine. Actually, we go way back. He's the only other person in the entire world who, with a nickel in my hand, would know what this sound means. <laughs> okay, Mark says, I definitely enjoyed all of the VFTV, that's Voice from the Void, episodes. Is this going to become a book of some sort in the future? I think it would be really good. Well, I haven't really thought about that, to be honest. It would take time to put such a thing together. A book like that probably should be laid out as a reference manual rather than as a bunch of essays. That kind of writing is a specialty all its own. Plus, I should probably do some more novels before offering up a guidebook to the universe, don't you think? I mean, it's only three so far, and book one is just a novella. For that matter, I should have written more books before I started doing a podcast, but I like the sound of my own voice. Good suggestion, though, and I will keep it in mind. Thanks for the idea, Mark. And that's all the feedback for now. Next episode, we're going to be taking a look at the future of biotechnology, specifically that branch of it known as gene sculpting, or sometimes as gen engineering. Genetic manipulation has yielded incredible advances, eliminating or repairing virtually all gene-based diseases, severe physical traumas, exposures to radiation, and even aging. Additionally, in EJOC's day, 
Your body isn't just your canvas, it's your clay, and you can have it shaped into nearly any form you want. But it's not all good news, because when human beings can be remade at will, not everyone will choose to do so for benign reasons. And sometimes, they'll make that choice for other people, no matter what they themselves might want. Designer maladies, cancers that kill in a day, induced feeble-mindedness in whole populations. It's a wild, scary, spectacular future of health and wellness, and sometimes a deliberate lack thereof. So, I'll see you all next time on Voice from the Void. You have been listening to Voice from the Void, a podcast about Star Drifter and the Star Drifter universe, written and hosted by David Collins Rivera. The theme music is a piece called Wicked Ways by Kilobyte. That's K-I-L-L-A-B-Y-T-E, featuring Danica Nadeau, and is available through No Copyright Sounds at ncs.io slash wickedwaysid. This podcast contains discussion about fictional works and characters and is not meant to portray any person, living or dead, nor any particular place or situation. Voice from the Void is copyright 2018 by the author and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 international license. Feel free to use it for any purpose, even commercial, and I encourage you to do so. Thank you for listening. Take care.